And gracious God, I pray now that you would help us to pay attention to what you would say to us this morning. I pray that as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts ready to receive them and respond. And God, if I say anything that isn't from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. And it's through Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, alleluia, Christ is risen. For us Anglicans, Easter isn't just a day, it's a season. That's why we're still wearing white stoles. That's why the table is still in white, adorned in white, and it will be for the next 50 days until we switch to red for Pentecost. And so for Easter season, we're going to continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of the resurrection as we follow the lectionary through Acts together. And I am so glad for that because I certainly could use a bit more resurrection power in my life, and I'd venture to guess I'm not the only one. So I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me, Acts chapter 5, verses 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, they're in your pews. You can find it on page 913. Special good morning to those of you joining us online while everyone is flipping there. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro, and it is good to be here together this morning. First, a bit of context for today's text. At this point in Acts, Jesus' disciples have moved from the fear and doubt and uncertainty of the days following Jesus' crucifixion, which Mary talked about last week, and they've stepped into the power of the resurrection. They've encountered the risen Jesus, who they watched ascend to the right hand of the Father. They've waited and then received the Holy Spirit sent by the resurrected Son. They're beginning to experience persecution, but that persecution cannot stop or even slow the gospel. And so for those of you who like to know where it is we're going, in today's text we'll see the life-giving power of the resurrection at work in four distinct and straightforward ways. We'll see that the resurrection has the power to heal. We'll see that the resurrection has the power to set free. We'll see that the resurrection has power to accomplish what God sets out to accomplish, no matter the circumstances. And we'll see that the resurrection has the power to encourage and send for the sake of gospel witness. My hope is that as we pay attention to the scripture together, that we'll be filled with faith in the power of the resurrected Christ to face the challenges in our own lives and in our life together. We're picking up the story here at verse 12. Will you look with me? Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is crazy. 
This is crazy. Signs and wonders have become regular among the people by the hands of the apostles. Believers are being added to their numbers by the multitudes, the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, all suddenly being healed. And Peter, who just chapters before denies Jesus, now people just want to get near enough to him for his shadow. Now, if it's okay with you, I'd like to geek out just a moment on the Bible as we get started, because this is so cool. The, the word that Luke uh, uses here in Acts chapter 5 for shadow, the word is skia, and, and that word is just normal. I mean, it could mean a shadow, like a literal shadow. It could also mean a figurative shadow. But what, what I found so interesting here is that Luke, who's the author of Acts, only uses this word one other time in the two books. In Luke and Acts, he uses it right here in Acts chapter 5 to describe Peter's shadow. And then he uses it all the way back in Luke chapter 1, in Zechariah's prophecy about the coming Messiah. Zechariah says, And you, child, will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is so cool. The only other time that Luke uses the word shadow in Luke or Acts is to describe the shadow of death. Only now the shadow of death has been undone. It's been reversed. And now they just want to get close to that shadow, lest it bring healing and wholeness. What once was a curse has been undone. That is the power of the resurrection at work. The resurrection of Jesus turns death into life and sickness into health, transforming even a shadow. And friends, that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is, I believe, still at work among us today and still healing people today, just as 2,000 years ago. Maybe you've seen it. I know I have. When I was in college, we had a friend who had a condition that was causing rapid deterioration in her eyesight. She was going blind. She was 19 years old, and her doctors told her that by the time she graduated college, she wouldn't be able to see. I'll never forget this. Our campus ministry gathered and laid hands on her and prayed for her before she went home for another eye checkup. And can you guess what happened? She went home for that checkup, and to the doctor's surprise, all deterioration in her eyes had miraculously stopped. God had healed her. The doctors said that there was no way, there was nothing they could do about it. She was going to go blind, and yet the resurrected power of God said, no, not today. God still heals today. He does. But I want to tread carefully here because it's far too easy for a preacher to read a passage like this and say Jesus still heals today, which he does, if you just believe, which is true. But it's not always true, at least in the timeline or the way we want or expect. Sometimes God restores sight to the blind. But that's not always what God's healing looks like. 
And so we need to be careful because there's a danger here. When I was in my mid-20s, I did a 400-hour chaplaincy residency at San Diego Children's Hospital. And I, I cannot tell you how many conversations I had with kids and with parents who'd been crushed because well-meaning people had told them if they just had faith, God would heal their child. And well, they were still in the hospital, talking to me, the hospital chaplain, while their child still lay there sick. And so I want to tread carefully. But make no mistake, God does still heal today. Sometimes by restoring sight. Yes, I believe that. He's done it here. But often in other ways too. Ellen Davis tells the story of a friend with a brain tumor in her wonderful book, Getting Involved with God. Her friend and others prayed intensely for her healing. And during the 15 months or so following the operation that confirmed her diagnosis, Davis writes, she was steadily and at last fully healed from a lifelong sickness of sadness. It was a time of growing joy and freedom a period punctuated by laughter as well as tears, as gradually she shed the crippling anxiety she had known for a lifetime. Davis's friend died on Holy Saturday, confident that she had been delivered. Davis goes on to note that prayers for healing are not always answered in the terms we expect and long for, the answer may be given in a way that is not even perceptible to someone looking at the situation from the outside. I've said this before, God works on his own terms and on his own timeline. But he does have real power to really heal. It may not look like you want or expect or happen when you want or expect, but the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave and was at work in the church in Acts 5 is still at work today, bringing healing and a wholeness to his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the resurrection is the power to heal. Second, the power of the resurrection is the power to set free. Our story continues in verse 17. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. The high priests and the Sadducees here try again. This is the second time this has happened in days. If you have your Bible, you can flip back just to chapter 4 and 3. They're preaching in Solomon's portico back in chapter 3. And what do you know? They're arrested and put in jail. Before then, they're taken out. They're beaten. They're admonished not to, do, not to teach that way anymore. Of course, they go right back to Solomon's portico. They begin teaching again. And that's where we pick up the story. In jail again for preaching the gospel again in Solomon's portico. It's the second time in just days. 
But the powers that be try to prevent the gospel from going forth by arresting the apostles and putting them in prison. But friends, the power of the resurrection is the power to set the captive free. And so the Lord opens the prison doors and he brings them out that they might continue sharing with others the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. God is in the business of setting captives free. He himself has been doing this almost since the very beginning. Certainly the defining moment of the Old Testament is the story of Exodus, where God frees his people from slavery. And it isn't the only time when those opposed to the gospel would seek to render it impotent, unsuccessfully, I might add, by putting followers of Jesus in jail. But as pastor and theologian Will Willimon writes, and I I love this. Something about the gospel renders prisons ineffective. Something about the gospel renders prisons ineffective. The resurrection power of the gospel is to set the captive free. For most of us, God willing, that won't be jail. But literal prisons aren't the only things that hold us captive, are they? We're held captive by all sorts of things. By habits of sin, by fear or anxiety or grief. We're held captive by the past or some vision of the future. We're held captive by the expectations that we have or that others have for us. We're held captive by anger or resentment that leads to hard-heartedness towards God and others. And that doesn't even take into account death itself. But something about the gospel renders prisons ineffective. And this is as true for the prisons of sin and fear and grief and expectations as it is for a literal jail. The power of the resurrection is the power to set us free, to transform that which holds us captives and transform it for God's purposes. Sometimes the things that bind us aren't even bad in and of themselves. Grief, for example, is a real and valid emotion. It's a gift from God even that Jesus himself experienced. Likewise, not all expectations are bad. Not all anger is bad. But here's the thing. One of the things that the enemy loves to do is to take a good thing and twist it just a little bit so it becomes a destructive thing. And so a healthy grief or a righteous anger becomes a prison that holds us captive. Appropriate expectations begin to bind us and imprison us. And I'm here to say that the power of the resurrection is the power to transform that which holds us captive unto God's purposes. Again, it won't always happen immediately or as maybe obviously and miraculously as it did for the apostles. It won't always happen in the way or the time we want or expect. Heck, the Apostle Paul spent his last years in jail before being executed. 
But what Paul found was a new freedom to pastor by pen from a prison cell. And we have the fruit of that freedom right here in our own Bibles. God is still in the business of setting captives free. And friends, even if God doesn't free you from the challenges you face in this world, the gospel tells us that what he did for us on the cross and the resurrection is greater still. The truth of it is right here. The words of life, the words that they speak later to the Sanhedrin, that Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us that in Jesus' death and resurrection, he loosed the bonds of sin and death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. The Bible tells us that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, set free. And if nothing else, the promise is that we are set free from sin and death. And friends, in the end, that is everything. And so come to him. Bring to Jesus the things that bind you. Release to him your patterns of sin or the good thing that's become a corrupted or destructive thing. Surrender to Jesus and the resurrecting power at work in and through him, believing that he has the power to set you free from that which holds you captive. And most especially, to set you free from the power of sin and death. Third, the power of the resurrection is the power to accomplish what God sets out to accomplish, no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances. The powers that be here in our story, they do everything that they can to stop the purposes of God. They arrest the apostles, they put them in jail. That's in chapter 3 and 4. Here in chapter 5, they arrest them again. They put them back in jail. They're miraculously set free and brought back before the council who tells them to stop preaching the gospel. And then the story will go on to tell us, just past our reading today, that they're whipped, 40 lashes minus one. And do you think that stops the gospel from going forward? The text tells us that multitudes are added to their number daily. The powers that be cannot stop the purposes of God. They keep trying and they keep failing. As we saw just last week during Holy Week, betrayal couldn't stop God's purposes. Denial couldn't stop God's purposes. High priests couldn't stop God's purposes. A Roman governor couldn't stop God's purpose. Crucifixion could not stop the purposes of God. And now we see that threats, prison, torture, all of those, they're not enough to stop the purposes of God. And I'm here to tell you today that God is God and that his purposes will not and cannot be thwarted. The devil cannot stop him. You and I in our brokenness cannot stop him. The powers of the world are as nothing before him. There is nothing in the heavens or on the earth or below the earth, not even death itself, that can stop the purposes of God from moving forward. He's the one who set the stars in place. He's the one who laid the foundation of the earth, who determined its measurements laid its cornerstone. He's the one who commands the morning since the days began and caused the dawn to know its place. Not only that, but he's the very one who put death to death. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. His name is the great I am. And he's a mighty fortress and our good shepherd. He's living water 
for dry and thirsty souls. The senate of the people of Israel could not stop his purposes, nor a jail or the temple guards, because the power of the resurrection is the power to accomplish what God wills to accomplish. The power of the resurrection is the power to accomplish what God wills to accomplish. And what is it in Acts chapter 5 that God wills to accomplish? Well, it's the proclamation of the gospel for those who don't yet know Jesus. That's what we see here in our final verses of our reading today, starting in verse 27. They were brought to them, the apostles, and they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We see it right here. The apostles are set free for a purpose. And that purpose is to bear witness to the gospel. They stand first in the temple where they declare the words of life. And then again before the council and declare that the crucified Jesus is risen for the forgiveness of sins. As John Stott notes, the concern of the apostles in their response to the council, it's not to defend themselves, but it's to uplift Christ. And that's what they do here. They lift up Christ. They preach the gospel to the very people who imprisoned them, the very people who killed Jesus and who were threatening to kill them. There's no fear. There's no hesitation. They've been set free, which is crazy in and of itself. But even more than that, they've seen the risen Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. What is there to fear? It's the sort of reality that changes everything, that ought to change everything. And so, of course, they'll share the gospel, even under threat of death. Friends, the resurrection changes everything. Everything. How could the disciples not talk about it? How can we not talk about it? I'm so convicted by this. I can't help but wonder how my life and the lives of those around me might be different if I had even half the boldness of the disciples. And I can't help but wonder how Fairfax County might be different if we collectively had even half the boldness of the disciples. Now, it's tempting to think, how could God use me? But I mean, here he is using Peter, who was a fisherman for most of his life, and who just a few weeks recently, days recently, was denying Jesus 
under threat of death. Peter, the one who just denied Jesus because he's scared he might be killed, here, bearing witness before the Jewish Senate. If God could use Peter, certainly he could use you and me. God uses broken instruments to make beautiful music. And that is convicting to be sure, but it also gives me hope. Because if the resurrected Jesus gives Peter the power to preach before the Jewish elders, Peter, the denier, then surely he can give you and I, he can give us the power to share the gospel with those we're in relationship with, to bear witness to the risen Jesus who changes lives, who has changed my life. And that's what we see here. We see the power of the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the gift of the resurrected Jesus that the apostles give credit to here. It encourages, it fills with courage the apostles to boldly point to Jesus in Solomon's portico and before the Jewish Senate. They're set free for a purpose. They're sent to the council and they're given the courage there to speak the faith. And friends, I believe God still does this for us today. He still sends us. He is still sending us. He still sets us free for a purpose. And when we step out in faith in response to him, he gives us the courage. He fills us with courage to bear witness to the resurrected Jesus, the one who died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. Here's where I'd like to end today. Maybe you're here and you're in need of God's healing touch. You need God to heal you. And if that's you, after the service, I'd like to invite you to come forward right up here for prayer. We would love to pray that God would heal you. Maybe you're here and you need to be set free. If that's you, you're held captive by something other than the gospel of Jesus. After the service, I'd like to invite you forward for prayer. We would love to pray for you, that God would set you free. Maybe you just need the reminder this morning that God is God, that what he sets out to accomplish in your life and the lives of those around you, he will accomplish. And if that's you, I'd like to invite you this morning to sing with abandon, trusting him, giving him those things which only he can accomplish. Maybe you need to be given courage this morning to bear witness to others. If that's you, we have a prayer. We pray at the end of communion every week that God would give us strength to send us out to do the work he has given us to do, to love and serve him as faithful witnesses to Christ our Lord. And if you need to be filled with courage to share the gospel with those around you, when we come to that point in the service, I'm going to ask you just to do this. Put out your hands that you might be filled again with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be sent for the sake of those around you.
And maybe you're here this morning and it's been a long time since you've trusted Jesus. Or maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. And if that's you this morning, here's what I'd love for you to hear. That Jesus died for you. And he rose again for you. For the forgiveness of sins that you might know God. And if you've never believed that, if you've never trusted Jesus, or if it's been a long time, I'd love to invite you this morning as you come forward for communion. I mean, literally every week we've got an altar call. Come forward as you kneel. I'd love to invite you, put your hands forward, and to receive Jesus, the risen Lord, again, or for the first time. Trusting in him, the one who died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. So we've got our marching orders, our invitation. What I'd like to invite you to do now is to stand, that we might declare our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed.